Welcome to the Changelog episode 0.4.9. I'm Adam Stokowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new and open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. Head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trending reposts, some feature reposts from our blog, as well as the audio podcasts. And if you're on Twitter, follow Changelog Show, Changelog Jobs, and me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. This episode is sponsored by GitHub Jobs. Head to thechangelog.com slash jobs to get started. If you'd like us to feature your job on this show, select Advertise on the Changelog when posting your job, and we will take care of the rest. First up this week, a great organization, Recruit Military, is looking for a Rails 3 dev. Familiar with RSpec 2, Cucumber, Sunspot Solar, Rescue, Chef, jQuery, Backbone.js, a number of technologies here. Such a great organization that helps find jobs for servicemen and women returning from overseas service. If you're interested, lg.gd slash 7yankee. If you're a Houston-based Ruby and Rails developer, the fresh revolutionary marketing agency Media3 Creative is looking to talk with you. Actually, it's me who's wanting to talk with you. <laughs> I joined uh, Media3 Creative a few weeks back, and I'm currently building an awesome dev team to work with, so check out lg.gd slash 8v or email me at careers at media3creative.com. And if you live to code where the user meets the app on the front side and you're open source friendly, you like implementing interfaces in iOS, Android, web, and more, be sure and look up Austin Base the front side, but you can work anywhere, I understand. Short code lg.gd slash 8uniform. Fun show this week. We talked to Scott Chacon over at GitHub about Git and show off and even a little Xbox Connect. It's quite the range, huh? It is quite the range. What was the perspective in terms of what we talked about? As far as Git? Oh, yeah, you like, uh, you know, was it a lot of Git? Was it a little bit of Git? Oh, it was probably 90% Git and uh, not so much GitHub this time, which was uh, a good mix to talk about how Git compares to Mercurial and some other distributed source control systems and, and how Scott kind of sells it uh, to other communities that aren't as entrenched in Git as perhaps the Ruby community is and kind of the heritage that you and I come from and uh, how he sells enterprises on uh, the need to get off tools like Subversion and into a truly distributed source control system. Yeah, he's been a, a really good guy as, uh, in terms of promoting Git over the past few years. Absolutely. I think he's taught uh, a lot of us what we know about about the tool. Also talked about his show-off uh, presentation app that uh, looks to be a, he hopes to be a keynote killer where you write uh, your presentations in web technologies. And then also one of his hobby projects, Connectabee, which is Ruby bindings for libfreeconnect that uh, allows you to control the Xbox Connect on your uh, Xbox 360 console from Ruby. Really, really cool. A quick word on Red Dirt RubyConf taking place in Oklahoma City on April 21st and 22nd. We'll be doing a live episode of the changelog at the end of day one. And when's going to talk about day two? Day two is action-packed full of training for some experts. Uh, Ryan Smith from Heroku and Wesley Berry from the Fog Gym will be doing some cloud training. Uh, don't miss Optiva doing some JRuby training. As well as I will be participating in some Titanium Mobile training with the guys at AppCelerator, Marshall and Kevin over there. But probably the most important part, catch our bud Eric Michaels over uh, and also Nick Quaranto from Jim Cutter doing some uh, open source training. So there's a whole track on how to contribute to open source. So be sure and catch Red Dirt RubyConf coming up in April in Oklahoma City, April 21st and 22nd. And registration is open right now, so head to reddirtrubyconf.com. It was a fun episode. Should we get to it? Let's do it. Chatting today with Scott Chacon from GitHub. So, Scott, I think a lot of the listeners probably know who you are, but for those that don't, why don't you introduce yourself and your role at GitHub? Yeah, yeah. My name is Scott Chacon. Um, I've been working for GitHub uh, since almost the beginning. I started contracting with uh, with them when it was still sort of a side project for for Tom and Chris and PJ. Um, and then we all sort of quit our jobs at the same time and started working full time about two and a half years ago. So um, yeah, so I've been working at GitHub for a while, um, and uh, I do a lot of Git documentation stuff. I'm not very good at C, so. Uh, to, to contribute to the Git project, it tends to be more writing and teaching and that sort of thing. So um, I do a lot of, of uh, training for GitHub and, and doing a lot of conference talks. And uh, I wrote a book called ProGit um, that was published by A-Press under a Creative Commons license that you can get online. And, and uh, 
uh, peep code PDF, that sort of thing. So I like, I like Git a lot, sort of weird things you can do with it and, and, uh, you know, teaching it and getting people interested in it. So, so that's, uh, that's me. So how did you come to, to discover Git? Um, so at my previous job, I, I worked at a company called Reactrix, uh, which is now, uh, has gone out of business, but, uh, well, it went out of business a week after I left. So I like to think that I, you know, a, a business cannot sustain itself without me, uh, on its payroll. So, um, I sort of took it down, but when I left, um, or when I, when I started there, uh, we were using, we were trying to do content distribution for things, um, for these, these devices. And so we were using, uh, we would just create a RPM of the software and we'd, you know, SCP it over. And that was very, if we change one file, we'd have to create a whole new thing. And so there was no incremental transfer. It was very, uh, it was very difficult to, to, to do, it wasted a lot of time and, and, and bandwidth and stuff like that. So what we wanted to do was something like, um, rsync. And we found out that Git was actually a really good sort of rsync for what we were trying to do. So we would, we would, uh, put everything in Git and we would create these custom trees of just the content that was needed out of the system and then have the client fetch it. And we didn't actually have to have, even though we had hundreds of clients that all had to, to have different combinations of that content. We didn't have to have, you know, hundreds of subdirectories with just the, the content that each one needed so we could RCP just what it needed. Um, what we would do is we'd do it artificially in Git using sort of the index and just say, okay, just these five directories and not everything else and commit it. And it would never actually exist on disk, but we could have the client fetch it and it would come over and then be on disk on the client. So um, it was it was awesome. It actually re- worked really well as sort of this strange RC, or, uh, rsync uh, sort of replacement um, so that's how I started using it. So everything was everything that I started using was we were actually using Perforce um, as the, the the RCS you know type thing at, at the time for the software, and we were just using Git to do this rsync stuff. So um, so I was sort of fascinated with the system, and and as it became used more, you know, I found that I knew a lot of the sort of underlying you know plumbing stuff, and and not very many people did, and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really cool model. So um, so I wrote the peep code PDF first, and that's sort of how I got into, you know, being the Git guy. I also went to uh, meetups here in San Francisco, which is how I met the other guys. This is how I met Tom and, and Chris and PJ. Um, and uh, basically every week that I would come, I'd, I'd demonstrate some other uh, language that I'd partially implemented Git in because, you know, it doesn't have a linkable library. or It does now, but it didn't at the time. And so I would I would be like, hey, look, I've 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 reimplemented the blob writing and reading mechanism of Git in in ActionScript, and people are like, why why would you do that? That makes basically no sense. Um, and so it was basically every single week. It's like I did it in Ruby, I did it in ActionScript, I did it in you know some, some other language and and uh, Erlang, you know whatever. And so people were, were I think that's sort of how I got the reputation as the Git guy was was just I was obsessed with it at all times and still kind of am actually. So as someone that's recently went back to the corporate scene, a lot of times I'm having to sell folks on uh, why they should throw away Subversion and move to distributed source control. So as the guy that wrote the book on Git, literally, uh, what do you tell people when they are considering a distributed system? Um, well, you know, I tell them that it's faster. Um, I tell them that their developers can work better. I mean, it depends on who you're asking, right? If you're asking a developer, if you're asking uh, somebody that's, you know, making the purchasing decisions or something, but... Um, but you know, having more efficiency for your developers, they can work offline, they can work off VPN. Um, all of the commands are faster. Branching and merging is easy to do. And it's a very common operation, which is not common in, in basically almost any other version control system. Um, especially ones that people are switching from. Um, but the offline stuff, I I've been to places where, you know, they have ClearCase or they have Perforce or Subversion or something and their, their system goes, especially like ClearCase, their system, their main server goes down. Or their network is, you know, goes down for a little while, and basically everybody has to stop working completely, right? And and it's not as bad in Subversion where you, you can at least keep coding, even though you can't commit and stuff. But but almost everybody's been bitten by that, you know, or or they lose the database and they have to recover it or something. And and you tell them you can do everything offline and get everybody everybody that's working on the project has a full backup of the system. There's no single point of failure. It's easy to, you know, if the server goes down to put up an, another one. Everybody can keep working off that. Um, branching and merging. Um, one of the big ones that I, I see people light up when I explain it to them is the uh, continuous reintegration. You can continuously reintegrate branches and Git, and that's very difficult to do in most other systems, especially Subversion. Even with like the merge tickets that 
that they have recently is is you can create a branch like for you know changing your database backend or or adding translations to your system or something that takes a long time and generally would would be this merge hell that everybody would have to go to uh, go through and and you can just be on that branch and continuously reintegrate the master branch into it very easily and at the very end just switch back and do a fast forward merge from master to to whatever the branch is and get all of that stuff and if you're merging every day you only get you know 24 hours worth of merge conflicts at a time and and not you know this huge there are 50 files that have conflicted it's you know if you're good about it it's impossible to do that so um when i demonstrate that sort of stuff you know that's when people really embrace it. And I think that's how most of us got really interested in the Ruby community about it, which sort of embraced it early and fast, um, is we would do demos, you know, in the conference, you know, in the sort of the side rooms of the conferences saying, look how cool this is to create branches and switch back and forth between them real fast and merge them back and forth. And it was so ridiculously easy when you're, when you're actually watching that, that you can't not see how that would, you know, be good for your team and good for your development practices. So as you've been going through this training with all these these corporate clients and everything, have you found it really difficult to sell the concept of Git in for the people who are really fond of having a really federated system where you know no one can touch their code unless they're authenticated via you know their Exchange server in, in systems like that? Um, well, not really. I mean, it, and that that could just be because of of the clients that I'm I'm doing right. We're not. GitHub is not uh, sort of selling into corporations and saying you should be using this thing. You know, we don't have like salespeople that go out and do stuff. It's it's very it's always generated from within. It's from developers that are using Git for open source projects on on GitHub or something, and then they want to use GitHub in, in, internally. And so they they look for you know GitHub uh, Enterprise like our firewall install uh, client where the, you can buy it and, and run it inside your your firewall. And so they, they come to us for that because they, you know, they want to do that. And then they say, you know, as long as you're doing that, you want to come and do some training as well. And so we'll, we'll either throw that in with that. So they've already embraced it in some way. Or um, the other one that I do a lot is large corporations that do um, sort of Android development. Um, so like big telecom type, type companies. And so they want to be involved in the Android ecosystem and it's using Git. So, you know, they, they sort of have to use Git. It's very rare that, you know, we, we won't really like go in and, you know, schedule a meeting and go in and sell people on the merits of Git. It's more of a developers love it and they use it in their off time and, and then they, they try and get it into their company because there's a need for it, right? They, they, it's painful to use another version control system if you're using Git on, in your spare time. That's true. You know, one of the ideas that I had last week was, you know, these adopt the highway uh, sections of a highway where they have a, a local group that goes out and just picks up trash on the highway or whatever. I think we should all go out to Google code and some of these other places and just adopt a repo that's in subversion and just pull it over to GitHub and mirror it. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've tried to make it kind of easy to do uh, subversion imports, but the problem with subversion importing is that, or, you know, changing from any version control system to another is that, um, it depends on the history of the, of the system, right? Like really simple ones aren't that difficult, but um, I've been to a bunch of companies that, you know, have these really complex histories where they even moved from CVS to Subversion, and then they've been in Subversion for years, and they have hundreds of thousands of commits, and, you know, they don't know how they want to split it up, or, you know, they've added a large file and then removed it again, and so that import, you know, adds the big file into your clone and stuff, and so a lot of times that, that has to be sort of custom. I've seen people write custom, you know, importers with, like, Git fast import, which is, um, you know, an incredibly time-consuming process, but... And then I've seen other companies where they just take the last snapshot and put it into Git, and they're like, "Screw everything else, let's just go." Um, so it's it's so highly dependent on the team around whatever the project is, you know. Yeah, whenever I have to do that, I usually just do get a VN clone, and it'll if it's a big tree, it'll take hours and hours and hours. It's terrible. <laughs> so so how pimped out is your is your Git config file? Um, it's not, it's actually not, um, largely because I do so much, uh, training and evangelization and stuff, um, is, uh, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to have a very custom setup locally, um, where I'm typing commands that they can't type or something, you know, if I'm trying to demo something. So I've been for a long time, I had no get aliases. Um, I'd have to type out everything all the time and I had no bash aliases. So, you know, it wouldn't actually just, uh, most of the people at GitHub can type like, you know, GCI or something, and it does a git commit with with options and things. But um, I try and stay away from that so that I can just use, you know, I, I have sort of the experience, the sort of new user experience still, and I can teach that. You know, I, I remember whatever all the commands are. Um, I have weakened in my resolve recently 
or you know within the last year or so i added a git lol which does a git log graph decorate one line uh uh and then and then you know so it gives me a nice sort of visual graph so i don't have to use git k um and uh, git st, which is I, I use for git status dash s dash dash b, which gives you a short status in the newer versions of git, sort of like the the subversion looking output, where it's just like question marks next to each name that's you know untracked and things like that. Um, and that's a lot nicer looking than the sort of verbose git status output. So those are my two cheats. But other than that, um, and I I think I put a custom font in for git GUI and git k. Um, but other than that, I, I don't really have very much in there because because I don't want to cheat. So do you use any a lot of external tools with Git, like uh, TIG or GitX at all? Um, no, I, I don't. I use Git GUI um, every once in a while, which is sort of the committing interface for Git on a GUI. If I have uh, you know a whole bunch of stuff that I've done and I want to break it up into three or four commits and, and be really specific about it, because you can do line-level commits, um, sort of patch, you know, like Git add-p, you can do that, but you can do it like on a line-by-line -line basis. Um, which is a, a little bit nicer, so you can sort of go through that real fast. Um, a couple of guys at, at GitHub use GitX to do the same thing, which has a really nice interface for that as well. Um, but again, I, I try and use whatever comes with Git when, when I can so that I can, I can teach it a little bit more broadly. So why Git and not Mercurial? Why Git and not Mercurial? Um, so I have done a, a little bit of work in Mercurial, um, I did a, a plugin for Mercurial called uh, HGGit, which allows you to, uh, or I started it, which allows you to uh, commit uh, in Mercurial and then push to a Git server. So you can use Mercurial and then push to GitHub, for example, to, to put the code on. Um, and then people don't, you know, necessarily, it uses Git as the transport port mechanism. So GitHub doesn't know that you're using Mercurial client for it. And, and uh, it's a one-to-one -one, uh, conversion ratio. So so any every object in Git has sort of a, or every commit in Git basically has a one-to-one -one, uh, relationship with a commit in, in Mercurial. And they're very similar. So when I was writing that, um, I had to learn sort of the back-end systems. How does it store its data? Um, what does the actual sort of format look like? Um, how does it think about the data that you're putting into it? And it turns out that it's actually incredibly similar. Um, the main difference is the, the how it actually stores it on disk. It's not the objects themselves. The objects themselves are actually incredibly similar, and it's not that difficult to go back and forth between them, um, which is why, you know, branching and merging is just about as easy in Mercurial. Um, you know, a lot of stuff are the same. So I, what I like to do is say, you know, use whatever client you feel more comfortable with. I feel more comfortable with Git because I like the branching model better, um, but re recently Mercurial has bookmarks, which are very similar to the Git branching model. So if you want to use bookmarks, then you get sort of the same thing. Um, but other than that, they're incredibly similar systems, and and uh, and so I, you know, the HGGit plugin is a nice thing because then we can say use whatever client you want, use Mercurial, use Git, push to GitHub, everybody can work together, and, and nobody really needs to know that other people are using you know whatever whatever client they're most comfortable with. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I used Git because the backend system originally, like I was saying, I was using it in a more low level way, and the backend system gives you a lot more power in Git. It's it's a lot simpler. Um, the, the Mercurial one is much more complex. It's sort of a hybrid between the subversion model and the Git model, where the Git model is just, here's all these objects in a database. It's sort of a key value store. I don't care. And, you know, subversion has this file-based log system where you have versions of each file in, in a name of that file um, or a file named after that file name. And, and, and in Mercurial, it's sort of like that. Like you have, for every file you've ever had in your system, you have this file.i, and it has a, a log of every version of that file. And so it's a lot more, like if you rename a file or move a file, you still have to have that log there, and you have to have rename links and all this stuff. And it be, it's much more complex um, and gets super simple. It's just, you know, here's a manifest and a commit, and here's all the objects, and we don't really care what, you know, we don't track renames, we don't, we figure it out after the fact. Um, so... That worked for what I was trying to do with the low-level stuff. And, and Mercurial, it's basically just a version control system. Whereas Git, you can use the backend for basically anything that you can think about using for a version, you know, POSIX file system. Because that's that's basically all that it is. I really wish that there was a, a Git HG plugin personally. Because I, I have, a, being involved in the Python community, every once in a while, I find someone real stubborn who's working on uh, Bitbucket. And I have to push up to it, and it's very frustrating. But uh, I actually just watched a, a talk by you recently where uh, I, I didn't realize that when you're using HG Git, it actually has a, a full Git repo inside of it, and they can just clone off of the bare repo in there and then and then work with that. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a couple of people that are using HG Git to do the opposite. So HG Git's um, 
Augie Fackler and, and uh, a couple other people have sort of taken that over and, and got made it a lot better than it originally was when I was working on it. I, I kind of haven't been working on it for a while, but it's great, and a lot of people use it now. Um, and he made it really, really fast, a lot faster than it was when I was doing it. But, um, uh, but yeah, so a lot of people will use it where they'll they'll use it sort of the opposite, where they'll they'll use it to take their Git stuff and put it into Mercurial and and push it just via the normal Mercurial thing because it does the it does bidirectional you know conversions. I have to when you clone from Git, I have to turn them all into Mercurial object, and when you commit in, in Mercurial, I have to turn them into Git object. So we, it can do both ways. Um, and it's not that difficult to set it up the other way, but it's it's not built in. It's not super easy like it is with the the material side of it, right? Sounds like a good contributor could add that, right? Yeah, I I, I would look at it. I don't remember. There's um, I think a uh, a couple of people have added some some things to it to make it e- relatively easy to do that sort of thing. But it certainly doesn't ship with Git, right? So we cover quite a broad range of listeners. Do you want to go over some of the, the basic differences? I've heard you talk of this before, of um, of why Git is being used by who it's being used by and Mercurial at the same time. You know, Not that one is superior to the other in any way, that they're actually quite similar, and then why one's becoming more popular than the other. I guess um, one of the... One of the I kind of consider it a, a mistake at this point, um, but I'm too lazy to go back and redo it. Is uh, I made a website called Why Git Is Better Than X.com, and um, I put a bunch of other version control systems and basically just summarized for people that are saying, "Why are you using Git?" Especially, you know, a couple years ago, people were like, "Why are you using Git?" And so I wanted to summarize: This is why we chose Git. This is why people that use Git chose Git. Um, but the problem that I did was um, I put a lot of different version control systems on there. I, I had it comparing to to Mercurial and to Bazaar. Um, which are other distributed version control systems. And since then, um, you know, all the email I've gotten back is not defending Subversion or Perforce or the other ones that I compared it to. They're all defending Mercurial and and sometimes Bizarre. Um, and uh, and so I've I've sort of changed my message to to be, you know, we don't care what you use. Everybody should be using distributed version control because there's still a huge huge, you know, population, especially in the corporate world. That's using Subversion for for or or centralized version control uh, systems for stuff, and I think in in most of those cases, um, it it would do you know it would be better for the entire development team there if they were using a distributed version control system. And the reason why, largely, um, besides just offline work and stuff like that, is branching and merging. Like, if people are using CVS or or Subversion or you know any of the sort of RCS derivatives. Um, the, any of the centralized version control systems, I guess I should say, um, uh, the, they have a different mentality of how to develop, right? And if you're using a, a distributed version control system because you can sort of craft your commits, you can think about it a little bit more, um, you can do stuff offline, you can decide when to when to push and share with people, you can do branching and merging very easily, um, and it's very lightweight. It's it's a it's something where you say, I have, uh, I'm going to make a branch for every ticket that I'm working on or something. Somebody in a centralized version control system, like if you're doing subversion, that would make no sense, basically. It would be so much overhead that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be practical. Um, and, in, and in Git and in Bazaar and in Mercurial and distributed version control systems, um, you know, the, those are the sort of the top three, that, that makes sense. And so we, I want everybody to be doing that. I want, to, I want the mentality of the entire development community to be you branch first, you do stuff in branches, you merge it in when it's ready. And when we can get people from Subversion over to any distributed version control system, that mentality changes. And I, I did not have a hard time working in Mercurial, right? I mean, I when I was doing it, when I was writing HE Git plugin, I did everything in Mercurial. And and um, and I, I, I thought it was fascinating, but it was not difficult to do. It was not nearly as difficult as moving from Subversion to, to Git or from, um, you know, what, what was I using before that? RCS, I guess, or, or you know, from from subversion to perforce or something that's that's sort of really different, right? Um, I think once everybody's in that mentality of what they expect their version control system tool set to be and how they expect to work and, and the efficient the efficiencies that they expect to get um, out of developing um, and how they expect to collaborate, right? It doesn't really matter which of the three it is because that's your mentality and you just have to remap that onto something slightly different, a u- user interface that's slightly different, right? Um, so that's that's been the push is not alienated people that are that are Mercurial users because I, you know I I actually like Mercurial to a certain degree there's a lot of interesting uh, development decisions that I think were made smarter than Git and a lot of ones that I think were not and and I actually I love 
you know, drinking with people and talking about that for a really long time because I can I can do it at least to, to a fair um, depth, right? Because because I've been doing both of these. I actually had a lunch one time with um, Augie, who's the guy that that has been maintaining the HD Git plugin, who's a Mercurial hacker and has always been a Mercurial guy, um, and and me and and uh, another friend of ours, and the three of us basically spent the entire time drinking and eating pizza and talking about the differences in the transport protocols between Git and Mercurial. And I was like, this is a conversation that can only possibly be used, interesting to basically the three of us on the planet because, um, but you know, I love it. I, I think it's really interesting, but, but the point is, is that, you know, once you get into distributed version control, I think that that, that is the future of development. And the sooner that we get more developers over there, I mean, the better it is for obviously GitHub. If people are using, you know, even if people are using Mercurial, that's better than people using Subversion, right? Um, they're closer to using GitHub um, or, or to being involved in an open source community that embraces that development style. And, and that I feel like that's better for the open source community uh, in, in general, right? Getting off of this. I mean, that, that's the other thing. Sorry, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm sort of uh, ricocheting here. But, but that's the other interesting thing is that, you know, Git, I mean, our interests are more than just GitHub. Our interests are the, the entire open source community. We want the open source community to be vibrant and to be um, interesting because that's that's who we all are. That's who basically everybody at GitHub came from, right, Is and how we met each other. Um, and so we want the open source community to thrive. And it, I, I feel like distributed version control systems, it, it's much easier to thrive as an open source community using that. When you're on Subversion, everybody has this sort of read-only thing and you can read it and you can improve it locally. And if you want to go through everything, you can, you know, extract a patch and mail it to a thing and go through that whole thing. And it, it's really heavy weight. And then if you do that enough times, maybe they'll give you a commit bit. And then, you know, you can actually push stuff into the repository. You can actually commit something to the repository. And everything's so heavy, right? It's so difficult to get involved. Um, and in Git, I feel like, or even in Mercurial, but, but in any of these distributed version control systems, because you can have these you know, these, these sites like GitHub where you can, you can create a fork and, and have your own write permissions and share stuff without having to get the, the sort of blessing of the entire community and craft stuff that's nice and send it back. And everything's very easy, right? I mean, that whole process is so much easier and you have so much more power in it doing that. And if you don't get it back in, you can still keep it up there, right? You don't, it, it's just, it's easier for everybody. So that's, that's, I feel a little bit less true in Mercurial than in Git. I, I think that it's easier to do forks and stuff in GitHub um, than trying to do like patch queues or something in Mercurial. But um, but it's it's certainly easier than than in, in Subversion, right? So that's the other push is is we want the open source community to be on one of them so that so that it's easier for us to collaborate and and open source grows faster. Absolutely, I think the the big thing that GitHub did when they decided to, to build the system that you guys have is is to take the projects and, and make the name the, the namespace that everyone shares your, your you know your username rather than the project itself so there's no like github slash you know uh, whatever the project name is it's username slash project name and that's what really enables people to be able to you know make it turns it from being a technological problem to a social problem correct and and the other nice thing about that is that you don't have squatters right because you have your own namespace. You don't. You don't need to. You know, try and squat a name that you want, um, like you do on even like in in the Ruby like in the Ruby community. The the way that you get gems out is with Gem Cutter, right? Is and how you used to do it was Ruby Forge, um, and and so if you want a gem name, if you want a project name, you have to sort of squat it while you're working on it, unless you sort of work on it in private and, and put it up there or put up something that isn't really quite ready yet or something. But there's still a little bit of squatting, but it wasn't as bad as like SourceForge or something where, you know, half of the projects are, are dead because just because they, they thought of a cool name, they're like, you know, they're like backscatter. That sounds amazing. Let's do a thing. And then you put it up there and you're like, this is what this will be. And then like 90% of the time it never, it never happens. Right. And, and in, in GitHub, maybe you create a project name you know, but you don't have to really squat it. You're not taking it from somebody else that could do something cool with it, right? You know, that's so true. On, on uh, Ruby Gems, it cracks me up the 404 pages, uh, page not found, but then it says, it will be mine. Oh, yes, it will be mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me and uh, domain name purchases. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a whole other thing that gets me angry, too. <laughs> so... Uh, so the whole Git ecosystem right now, is there anything that really gets you excited, like like the development of libgit2 and, and other projects like that? Yeah, well, I mean, the development of libgit2 certainly gets me excited because I'm, you know, sort of directly involved in it. Um, but it's something that the Git community has needed for a long time is, is a linkable Git library. Because, 
you know, the library, the, there is a libgit.a that is produced by building Git itself, but it's not reentrant. So if you link to it and it gets to a certain point and it does this all over the place, it was built as sort of a command line tool. So um, it'll just call die. And, and so your program, whatever it is, will simply die. Um, if it, if it gets to that point. And, and so you can't really use, there's no stable defined API that, you know, won't change. Everything just sort of changes all over the place. It's, it's sort of a mess. Um, and the, the tool is great and, and there's a ton of really smart people working on it, but, um, but there's no linkable library. So you can't really build like a GUI on top of it, which is why they were slower to come. Um, and, uh, and so the libgit2, which is the linkable library that's reentrant and, you know, has a stable API and all that stuff, um, has been in the works for years ever since. I think it sort of started when I went to one of the get-togethers every year uh, after the Google Summer of Code um, conference. A lot of the Git people are around, so we do a, a get-together where all the Git developers get together and talk about stuff. Um, and I was showing, I was basically showing people all of these different implementations that I was talking about that I had done of Git in all these languages, like, you know, in Ruby and in, I helped with some of the Python stuff, I think. And, um, and I did one in Erlang or possibly two in Erlang. And I did uh, one in ActionScript. And I was showing all this stuff and it's like, this is necessary because there is no linkable library, right? Um, otherwise we could be building wrappers and NIFs and stuff. Um, and so the project sort of started, but it never really went anywhere. And then last year, for the Google Summer of Code, uh, somebody put up a, a, a thing that that they would be interested in working on it. And I became the mentor sort of by default. I wasn't really planning on doing it, but him and I worked together. And then uh, he got really, really far with it. I had a great student, Vicent, and, and he got really, really far with it. And it became really usable. Um, and And so GitHub decided to just keep paying him, basically to keep working on it. So it's sort of the indefinite Google summer of code where we took Google out and then replaced it with GitHub. And then, you know, he, he's still a student and we keep paying to work on it. Um, and we've, we've gotten a couple other people. Um, uh, Jeff King from the Git community is a really huge Git developer. He's sort of, ha- you know, partially working on it as well. So now GitHub is sort of driving the development of this, this libgit2, um, uh, you know, library where we can use it in stuff that we, you know, on our back end and stuff, which would be really nice um, uh, for us. We're, we're doing a Ruby wrapper for it as well. Um, and we're getting contributions like a Python wrapper and a, um, a .NET wrapper and an Objective-C wrapper and stuff. So you can use it from all these different languages, which is, you know, sort of historically been another thing that's nice about Mercurial is that you can write tools and stuff where it has this nice API and you can sort of extend it. Um, and now I think libgit2 is getting, it's almost far enough along um, where... You know, we'll have wrappers where it's just as easy to write something in Python using Git as it is using, you know, Mercurial, even though Mercurial is written in Python. Um, but then you could also do it in, in Ruby or in shell scripts or in uh, Objective-C or in whatever language you like, right? I mean, we have like Lua wrappers or something for it. So um, that's that's what I really want to get to, where there's these nice, you want, nice, nice APIs in almost every language on this nice, fast, um, stable reentrant thread safe library. Um, so that's, that's one of the things I'm really interested in is not just the development because I, that's, you know, I'm not great at C. I can't really do the, the code. In fact, the way that I was doing this Google summer code stuff was he would, I would define what I wanted the API to look like in Ruby. Basically he would write it all in C. Um, I would look at the .h files, write the wrappers in Ruby and then write the unit tests in Ruby to see if the stuff that he wrote in C worked or not, which is possibly not the best way to be doing that, but it was a lot better than me actually trying to look at his C code. So um, and that's that's largely kind of how we still do stuff. Is is I make sure the rugged Ruby wrapper works for stuff, um, and that I can I can build the things I want to. But then evangelizing that and saying, you know, when we go to when I go to companies or when I go to talks or something, saying here's this cool library with all these bindings, write something cool with it because the backend is incredibly flexible, right? It's basically just this key value store, um, and, and this this. Uh, you know, sort of linked list of snapshots of manifests of, of, of this file system. And you can do whatever you want that, that you know, uh, that, that syncs well and easily and incrementally. And so you can do anything you can think of that, that would use a structure like that you can do and get it doesn't just have to be version control. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in the next couple of years, because we're going to have, you know, libgit2 and all these nice bindings. So everybody can write all these cool scripts and stuff that do all this custom stuff. But then also, um, eGit, um, you're, you're asking about stuff I was excited about in Git. eGit, um, is the, the, the Eclipse Git plugin. And the Eclipse project has, has sort of embraced 
uh, Git as their next version control system, basically from CVS. They never really embraced a version that well. Um, and so they're all working on this, this eGit plugin for, for Eclipse that's, um, that does you know everything where you don't have to install Git. You can simply install this plugin. It has a, a pure Java implementation of Git in it. Um, and, and you can do everything in there. NetBeans has a, a great plugin now as well for their editor. So, you know, all this stuff is coming online. All these GUIs are starting to get written. Git Tower just went 1.0 yesterday, I think, which is a nice professional paid for Mac app, um, Git GUI that, um, I've seen a lot of people using and liking a lot. So, um, so yeah, anyways, I mean, as all that stuff happens, as all the GUIs get developed and as these scripts get bindings that are fast and, and capable and, and have this nice uh, API to them. Um, I'm really excited to see what people are going to be doing with Git, right? So my job now is not so much doing sort of the proof of concept stuff, although I do do that a little bit with some things like large file support and things like that, but, but mostly telling people what's out there and then seeing what they do with it, you know? So... As GitHub has become more, more and more popular, you've, I, you know, a lot of your users aren't necessarily experienced with source control systems, and I've found that you know a large number of the more uh, you know the beginners you know don't understand Git as a concept fully. It's, it's just a, a natural thing that happens. Is there anything that you feel that you know the whole community really needs to, to take the time to, to learn? Uh, in general, that, that you can think would help them a lot, like you know learning what a rebase actually is and, and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm sort of split on that. I'm not really sure that, I mean, what I like to do is teach sort of basic concepts of what Git is trying to do. Um, because a lot of people, um, especially from the developer community and, and some designers and stuff as well have come from the subversion world where, I mean, the interesting thing about version control is that most people for a long time don't take it seriously. It's not taught in, in universities really, which might be part of the, the problem, um, you know, I was never really taught version control when I was uh, at university, and that was fairly recently. You know, I mean, you know, I graduated 2002, and I went to UCSD, and they, they didn't really teach version control anywhere, and it certainly wasn't, um, you know, it certainly wasn't sort of presented as a tool, right? They taught, uh, they taught programming, they taught languages, they taught assembly, they taught, you know, all this stuff, but not version control. That was not really considered, and even, like, editors and stuff, right? But, that, but version control wasn't really considered a tool set that was important, um, and I think that is, that's sort of, gone through a lot of the industry is is a lot of people don't they see it as sort of a necessary evil right you have to have it so that you don't lose everything not this is a tool that can make you better at your job right or or can make your life easier as a developer that a lot of people don't see version control that way and it may be because it hasn't really been like that as much whereas i feel a git even though it's sort of compli- I mean, it, it is more complicated. You can do very complicated things, but I think it's worth investing the time to learn it, to, to get a book, to read it. I mean, you know, I, I have stuff that's, you know, I've, that, that, that's free and online. It's, I've been trying to do a lot of, of, uh, of, evangeliz- or, uh, of evangelization for, for Git itself, but also, you know, writing stuff down so people can learn it as easy as possible. But I feel it's worth, like, people think that, that uh, you know, subversion, they're just like, okay, here's the eight commands you need. And that's it. And they don't really learn it in depth, right? And they kind of want to approach Git the same way. And I feel like it's important to learn it, to say this is a tool set that is as important as learning an editor, right? As learning VI or learning Emacs or learning, um, you know, Eclipse or, you know, everybody spends hours and hours learning their editor. Nobody uses Notepad to do to do programming, right? Um, and, and Subversion, people use it like Notepad. They're just, okay, I'm, I'm at some point, I'm going to commit, and that's it. Um, and I feel like there should be more... People should take it seriously as a tool set that 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 gives them um, power, right? That gives them a lot of power. Like learning Emacs as a power user or something gives you a lot of power. Learning Git gives you a lot of power, and that that should be a focus of of places to make sure that people and of, even of schools and stuff to make sure that, that 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 people see that as as that tool and not as a necessary annoyance. I guess. Um, I mean, I can do Git in an hour, and I do that a lot, but. But I like the ones where it's all day, and I'm I'm teaching a lot more stuff on how to think about version control and how to how to use it as a as a tool that makes you better at at what you're actually trying to accomplish, right? At collaborating with people, at looking through your history, at figuring out what happened, at at peer reviewing code, at doing merges and 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 working independently on different branches at the same time, that that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a mind shift that that people have to see the tool as as a different class of tool than, than people used to think about version control, I guess. I'd like to switch gears for a moment and talk about another one of your projects, Show Off. 
What's the inspiration behind this, and what's the uh, the state of Show Off? Um, Show Off is I've been using it for almost all of my my uh, it's it's a presentation tool. So the idea behind Show Off is you write your your slides because I do a lot of talks, I do a lot of training, I do a lot of conference talks, and so I make a lot of slideshows basically. Um, and you know, I mean, a lot of people do. It's it's you know one of the word processing slideshows. Excel spreadsheets, like those are sort of the big sort of three that are in all the office formats, right? Because everybody uses them for stuff. Um, so I was using slideshows a lot. Um, I used Keynote for a really long time. It was not bad. It's actually, you know, it's fairly nice software. Um, but there's a lot of things I couldn't do with it. Um, and one of them is version control, right? As I, you know, as I'm telling people to take version control more seriously, I try to make sure that all the stuff I'm doing is version, version controllable, especially um, for like the training stuff, because if you think about it, if if you're doing training, you know, every couple weeks or something, and it's it's variations on a theme where you have a whole bunch of different sections, and some companies want some sections and some want others, and it, it changes slowly over time, or you have to customize stuff for certain companies, it's very nice to be able to branch and merge your presentation, right? And you can't do that with, with Keynote. It, it's 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 just not really possible to do it and, and, and be able to manage it properly. And the other thing about presentations, especially the way that I do them, um, which is generally a couple of words on a slide, um, you know, I have a, a sort of bare presentation style, is, is uh, it's just text, right? I don't have a ton of animations. Most of the stuff in, in word processors and in, and in uh, presentation software is 95% of that stuff is never used by anybody, right? Even if they know it's there, just because I'll use it on one or two slides, maybe for animation or something like that. But generally, I don't care. It's just words. Um, it's, you know, examples, code, things like that. And so what I wanted to do was have everything in a basic text format. Um, so I chose Markdown. So you write everything in Markdown, and then you run a thing, and it creates HTML off of it. And then it's an HTML powered presentation, right? So but it's awesome because I can version control everything. I can have uh, all the different subsections and subdirectories and then move them from slides to slides. Or um, I have a little uh, showoff.json sort of index file where I can remove lines in and out as I do and don't want different sections. Um, and uh, it just makes it as easy to write my presentations as it is to write code, right? And, and manage them and share them and have people fork them and fix them and send me pull requests and all of that stuff works, right? If it's plain text, um, anything that's that you can do in plain text. I like doing in plain text if possible, right? And my presentations really didn't have that much that I couldn't do in plain text. It's just that there was no real tools to be able to do it uh, very easily. There was like Slidey and S5 and stuff, and they, they didn't really fill my, my criteria of being simple and fast to write slides. Um, and mine is just basic markdown, and it, it works great. So, And then the other cool thing is you can add JavaScript, custom JavaScript, custom CSS. You can use you know tools that you use for web development to do custom things in your slideshows, right? So um, I put in, I do a lot of, you know, git commands. So I'll type a git command on the command line and then show the output. And it's very difficult to do in Keynote and in show off. Um, you know, I just use a jQuery plugin that does typing. So it looks like I'm typing it at the time and then all the output comes in uh, after that. And I don't have to program any of that. I just have to put a style on the slide that says this is a code example. Um, and, and it'll just type it out for me as I'm hitting the button. So like that sort of stuff. Um, you can also do fun stuff like the the other week. Um, I've been playing with the Connect, uh, you know, the Microsoft Connect uh, device. Um, I got one of those, and I got the there's open source drivers for them on GitHub, and so I I was playing with that on the Mac, and uh, I made it so I could control the this uh, the presentation with a Connect. So um, I used a, I used FireWaiter. Um, you know, you guys are familiar with FireWaiter? It's like a browser testing thing. Right. So it'll like t it'll click buttons in your browser basically for you. Um, so I just hooked that up and it's made like a Selenium. Really, what's that? It's like Selenium. Yeah, it's like it's Selenium, right? Um, and so I made a really simple wrapper that just took input from the camera, cleaned it up, saw when I was doing left to right or right to left movements with my hand, um, and then and then hit buttons in the in the browser basically that made it you know go back and forth in the thing. So like that would be difficult to do in in Keynote, like to try and send Keynote a signal to go to the next slide programmatically, and it's very easy to do because I'm using a browser, right? I mean, all of the stuff that already works for browsers you can use with your presentation software. Um, so that that's what Show Off is. A lot of people are using it because it's it's fairly easy to do. It's easy to you know get up and running in version control, and you can do, you can say stuff like Show Off. Um, uh, Heroku and it'll create, you know, Heroku wise it for you and you can push it to Heroku and then your presentations on Heroku or, 
you can now you can say um, uh, show off GitHub and it'll create a GH Pages branch. You can push it to GitHub and we'll we'll serve it statically off of GitHub Pages. But um, so you can share the presentation easily and you can share the source for the presentation easily, which is really nice. One of the first show off presentations that I did, um, somebody did a presentation of show off in show off, and then I wanted to do one as well. I had a little lightning talk that you know I wanted to do for it. So I instead of creating my own, I forked his changed it to fit the, you know, a little bit to fit the format of the new presentation. Then I gave a presentation on show off using show off using a fork version of show off. So, um, I was, I was really happy with the meta-ness of basically that entire experience. Um, the other, the other cool thing about that is that, uh, so that's, I mean, that's show off that you're asking about, but, but that's also an interest of mine is making tools for things that don't need huge, heavy, overdone GUIs for them, that that's what the entire industry uses, right? So presentation software is an example. Word processing is another example. There's a lot of stuff that you need Word for, right, that does really complex stuff. Um, but there's a lot of stuff, most stuff that you don't. So I wrote a book for A-Press, the, the ProGit book I wrote for A-Press. And basically the, the process for that was um, you write everything in Word. They give you a style sheet um, that, that the publishing tools know about. So you have to stay within these like eight styles, right? So already you have, uh, you already, uh, already you have a, a lot of constraints on that, right? So it's not like you can do anything in word. You can't really use word as the full tool. You can only use these 10 styles. And, and so that, that I felt that that was really dumb because it's basically just a bunch of words, inserted images, and then everything's constrained within these 10 styles. Why are we not using Markdown, right? Or show off, or I mean, not show off, Markdown or ASCII doc or some, some, some structured markup language um, that is very simple and does this, this thing simply, right? So I, I, uh, I wrote my book in Markdown. Uh, I had to export everything from Markdown to Word for the copy editing phase and then export everything from Word back into Markdown to publish a website at the end, um, which was one of the most horrible experiences of my life um, generally. But, but what I'd really like to see is a tool chain for, for technical authors for writing, you know, um, books about open source projects for writing, you know, just normal tech books like ProGit, like, you know, normal technical books that, that all of us read, you know, a couple times a year, probably. Um, I'd like that entire process to be much simpler. It's, it's, it's cause there's thousands of authors doing these books and there should be more, there should be, you know, a, a small manual for every open source project. Basically, I think it would be really helpful to have that, to have a rails manual for every, you know, every project. And, and it's not really done because the authors have to come up with all this stuff. They have to create a website for it. They have to create, you know, figure out how to generate a PDF or a Mobi file or an EPUB file or, um, you know, all of the different publishing standards. But if you want to read it on your Kindle or your iPad or something, right? Um, so that's one of the projects I'm working on right now is is trying to do that for not just word processing, but like writing writing books or writing manuals or writing novels or anything that doesn't take. It's not a children's book, right? Anything anything that that has text, a couple of styles, and uh, maybe some code examples or some math formulas and some images, and that's it, right? And that's Gitscribe? Uh, What's that? Yeah, Get so scribe. that's Gitscribe. So I'm working on that right now. Um, and uh, um, I'm actually... Um, uh, I'm actually sort of in the process of possibly creating a, a guide to GitHub book for O'Reilly where I actually use this process to, to write the book. So sort of as a pilot project for it. So I'm, I'm doing that and the book simultaneously so that I can make sure that the process is good. But I mean, there's a lot of other things for writing technical books, handling translations, um, pegging versions of the book to versions of the, of the, the application that you're trying to document. Um, you're taking errata, you're right, all that stuff. And, and every technical book publisher does not do this well, basically. I mean, they have different variations of how they do this, but um, a lot of it is doc book, which is, better in that you can, you know, it's text and you can merge it and, and stuff like that, but not very easily. Um, or, or most of the is word documents and, and that's just awful. I have to kill that. My, my, my goal in life is to kill word documents for te technical publishing because it, it's, it's not necessary. It's, it's so overkill and bad. You, you have to lock, uh, the, the chapter sort of one chapter at a time through like soft email locks and say the technical editor has this chapter now. And, and that's just horrible, right? There's no reason that shouldn't be mergeable, and, and you shouldn't be able to get line-by-line uh, line changes. Absolutely. We're writing a, a book on SAS for, um, for Manning, and Jason Williams from, uh, is writing the RabbitMQ book. Luckily, is trailblazed a lot of this for me, where I'm writing in, in Markdown. Um, 
as well, kind of like what, what you were doing, but it's a, a crazy tool chain with Haskell and some other tools in there. We just need to find some sort of standard that not only for open source books and eBooks, but even all the publishers. Cause you know, I think I've, I've done three different publishers and they all have a different workflow, you know? Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, I'd like to see, I think ASCII doc is a, is a fairly good, uh, sort of text standard for that because it outputs to docbook and there's a lot of tool chains that will take docbook and give you nice looking pdfs and that sort of thing but um so that's that's what i'm concentrating on is is you know having some rails type thing for writing books where you can say get scribe init and it gives you a layout for how to write the book right here's where to put images here's here's what the ascii doc looks like here's a cheat sheet for ascii doc um you just commit there you know you push to github we generate epub moby you know html chunked html that sort of stuff for you um, and, and you don't have to worry about the authors don't have to worry about any of that, right? The, the, the author's job should just be writing words and nothing else. And, and there's no, there's no tool chain for that right now. And, and everybody makes up their own. So if you're an author and you go back and forth between different publishers, it's, it's a whole new game of, of horrible, right? All right. So one last question before we're running out of time here. Uh, who is your programming hero? Um, everybody that works at GitHub is basically my programming hero. Um, it's actually really embarrassing because, um, you know, I, I've, I don't know, I've been, I've been working, I've been doing computer programming for what, 10 or 12 years, I guess, 10 years, about 10 years probably. And, uh, you know, most of the places that, that I was at, I kind of felt like, you know, a lot of these guys, um, uh, you know, I, I, I had a lot to teach everybody and, you know, especially the, at the beginning when you're sort of the arrogant right out of school guy, you know, like you guys are all idiots. This is how we do it. Um, but now at GitHub, it, it's, it's the first place where, you know, I kind of feel like everybody that I work with is smarter than me. Um, and, uh, it's, and I, I think a lot of the other guys kind of feel that as well. So it's just a, a high quality place, but, um, I, I'm constantly looking at Chris's code for examples of how to, how to do stuff. Like if I say, I, you know, if I'm saying I'm writing some command line thing, I look for something, you know, at, at rip or something that, that Chris has written, um, uh, or Tom or something as a command line tool and say, what are the tools that they were using, you know, to, to do this? And, and because, you know, they're, they're all really, really smart guys. So, um, and then everybody that we've been hiring after, I mean, we were all sort of more generalists. Um, everybody that we've been hiring since then is, are, are so, you know, laser focused. I mean, uh, Ryan Tomeko is one of the smartest guys that, I, you know, I, I know. And, uh, so it's, it's almost embarrassing to hire these guys because then they go through and look through your code and, uh, you know, you just, you don't want that to happen. Uh, they're like, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, now, nowadays it's, it's a lot of the, the newer guys that, you know, are, are really, really smart going through my code and, and telling me what I did wrong in the first place. But, uh, but, um, yeah, so it, I can basically learn from, from everybody at, at GitHub for a long time to come because they all have, they're all different in, in different ways, right? Different, uh, I mean, Ryan's anyways, that's, Yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, thanks was, for taking the time. That was a horrible answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it was perfect. Thanks for taking the time today, Scott. We surely appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. This is fun.